Good evening. This is Talking Sports with Evan. I'm Evan Wattalis. And then happy 2023 listeners and viewers of this show. I appreciate each and every one of you who have taken time to even spend just a few moments listening to me give my thoughts about uh, what's going on in the world of sports, especially Wisconsin-based sports. So with that, uh, lots to go over. The Packers win, and they are in on Sunday. If they beat the Detroit Lions, they are in the playoffs. And who would have thought after their 0 oh, and 5 stretch in the middle of the season, starting with their loss in London against the New York football Giants. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, it's surprising. And a couple comments I want to make about that. Um, I also want to talk Packers Vikings and wow, was that an impressive victory by Green Bay over the Minnesota Vikings? Very unexpected. I expected the Packers to win. I predicted the Packers would win. I just was not expecting the domination that the Green Bay Packers put into place against the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm also going to preview the Packers versus Lions game, which if the Packers win, they're in. But if the Packers lose and Seattle wins, Seattle is in. And if Seattle loses and the Packers lose, well, Detroit is in. But hold on, not so fast. That could change as the NFL is trying to determine and figure out what they are going to do with the NFL playoffs. And there's a few options that have come out today that I'm going to kind of walk through a little bit and give my thoughts on it. And the NFL has to make this decision with the playoffs because, unfortunately, we saw a horrific scene Monday night in Cincinnati where – Damar Hamlin made what looked like a routine tackle, but there's nothing routine about it. After he jumped up, after making a tackle, he fell right back to the ground, and uh, they had to do CPR and uh, shock him to to bring him back. And he is in a Cincinnati hospital and improving, thankfully. The update today, per his people, per the hospital, that he is... Uh, the neurological things are looking good. He's able to follow commands, and he he wrote the question, uh, wondering who won the game uh, this past Monday night. Which you know, I what they told him is you won. Um, but it's good that Hamlin is progressing in the right direction. Um, not going to really walk through. So there, there was a lot on my mind when it happened. You know, I, I played football in high school. I played a couple years in college. I've been around the game of football as a player, as an official, as a broadcaster, as a fan for pretty much my entire life. I've been around the game of football one way or the other. And it was very tough to see. It was a very tough scene to see um, that situation happen where it looked like we possibly lost somebody on the football field. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. Fortunately, Hemlin is doing better and improving from what the reports coming out of Cincinnati and Buffalo are, and that is very 
great to see. And I guess I'm not thought a lot about talking about the, you know, issues that I had through the whole situation. Um, And I'm going to do different tonight. I'm going to compliment the people involved in the situation that basically helped the situation, um, the outcome that we are looking at seeing right now. The trainers, the doctors, the medical, the medical professionals with the, the Bengals and the Bills, the doctors at the hospital. Um, they all, all they all deserve a round of applause. It was the cricket quick action from Buffalo's medical staff is why it's you know the results are going the direction that it is. Cardiac anytime you have a cardiac arrest situation, your your brain is potentially being deprived of oxygen. And the longer it's deprived of oxygen, the more severe outcome things can be if you're able to get that heart flowing again, get the blood pumping through the body again. So that's why in that situation, CPR and AED device are so important. And Buffalo's quick response on administering CPR and getting the heart going again was especially crucial. And if if they didn't work so fast, we probably wouldn't be seeing the neurological outcomes that we're currently seeing. And that's gonna be the next big step, the next big hurdle for Hamlin is what long-term effects does he have? And that's going to be what the doctors and the staff and the medical professionals now are figuring it out. I just want to commend them, give them, you know, a shout out, give them a pat on the back for their quick action to um, provide the aid and the medical treatment and the support that this young man needed during a crisis situation. And like I said, I thought about, you know, going after the low-hanging fruit of comments made by people that were insensitive um, in nature. But I think we have had enough time pass since then that I don't really want to give that more attention. I want to I look at the, you know, the, the positive uh, things that we've seen. And like I said, that was the quick action of the medical people that work for the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm not going to talk about should the game have been played or not, because I think they made the right decision not playing it. I want to compliment and commend the coach of the Bengals, uh, Zach Taylor, um, the coach of the Bills, uh, commend them on their responses and what they said. And then just the sports world in general, coming together to show love and support to this young man and the people who donated a ton of money to a cause that was very important to him that he started in college when he had no money himself. He's a college athlete. This was pre NIL days. He doesn't probably have a ton of money. Um, he's, he's playing college football and he starts a toy drive to try to help uh, kids uh, get toys and whatnot. And Last I saw is over four million have been donated thus far to that uh, charity. So those those are pos- like those are the things that were good to see during um, and after since this incident 
unfortunate that it had happened. And I do ask for, you know, I do you know, want to say this for any high school or youth players out there or parents out there that want to know if they should let their kids play football or not. Hopefully this is just a one in a once in a lifetime thing. And hopefully it never happens again. Um, we haven't really seen it ever happen in football if in a very long time, especially on the field of play. And it's sounding like this was a freak incident and he got hit in the chest at the right time, at the right moment, at the right, uh, just, you know, and this is what we saw happen. And as I mentioned, the quick reaction from the trainers and the doctors is why this young man is, uh, looking like he's going to have a, you know, more of a positive recovery than how this could have been. But with this, and I know, you know, this is the, for those involved, uh, and for a lot of fans, this is the least of anybody's concern right now. But the question now is what happens? You know, so the, the Bengals and the Bills, the winner of that game, if the Chiefs were to lose on Saturday eve or afternoon against the Raiders, the winner of that game, if they win next week, would be the one seed. Both the Bengals and the Bills own the tiebreaker over the Chiefs. If the Bengals would have beat the Bills, the Bengals would currently hold then the two seed as they would be tied, and the Bengals would have the tiebreaker. If the Bills beat the Bengals, Bengals-Ravens next week would be for the AFC North title. So now the question is, the NFL is trying to figure out what to do. How do we fix this? How do we solve this situation that, you know, that now, because we're not going to finish this game at all, it's sounding like. The, The game's done, and now the NFL is trying to figure out. And a few of the scenarios I've seen thrown out, is expanded to uh, both the AFC and the NFC to eight teams and eliminate first-round buys, and let's go from there, and whatever happens, happens. I'm not necessarily opposed to that idea, but it's not my favorite idea. Another idea I saw floated around, which I could potentially get behind, I got to pull it up on my phone, so I took a screenshot of of what I saw, and I just want to make sure I get it right. So pro football talk, and I know pro football talk says a lot of no- nothing, but there's uh, they uh, said on a show that they got win from a high-level NFL people, and this was a day ago, and this such, such changed, is we, they do a week 19, finish the Bengals and Bills game, which isn't going to happen now, but then you do a wild-card playoff for the a- NFC, AFC's off, and then week 20, you do the AFC wildcard playoffs and the NFC are off. So you're kind of giving um, a buy, buys in there to uh, as well. So there's really no easy solution. I think the one that makes the most sense is that a team in each conference. And if you get the Bills and the Chiefs or the Chiefs and the Bills or the Bengals and the Chiefs or the Bengals and the Bills in the AFC championship game, have it at a neutral site because a lot, you know, there's a lot that um, I guess it's, I don't think it's very fair to 
just give the one seed to the Chiefs without playing the game on Saturday and, uh, you know, go from there. And obviously if the Chiefs lose on Saturday and the Bills win, well, I guess then we can, you know, just give the Bills the one seed as I think they would have them one less loss in the loss column. But for the NFL to figure out, it's well above my pay grade. I do a very small um, mid podcast show here online. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not the one that makes those decisions. Like I said, that's the NFL's decision to make now. But it'd be interesting to see what they do uh, moving forward with the the game with the Bengals and the Bills looking like it will not be completed. But the most important thing out of all of this is before I got to talking about the playoffs is the fact that it looks like uh, Damar Hemlin is moving in the right direction from a medical perspective. Uh, he still has a long way to go, but it looks like he's moving in that right direction. And that's what's most important in this whole situation. Packers, Vikings, as I mentioned, I figured the Packers are going to beat the Vikings. Packers are hot. The Vikings, they have not looked great in wins, and they've looked very bad in losses. I figured the Vikings would lose. The Packers have everything to gain by winning this game. The Vikings have some have some to gain, but not as much. And I just felt that the Packers were going to be the better team on Sunday. But I was not expecting 41-17. to 17, And in reality, it's really 41-3. to 3. 14 of those points happened when the game was out or the game was over. The Packers had their all their backups in, the Vikings had all their backups in, and the Vikings were able to get two touchdowns really late in the game to get to the 17 points. The Packers dominated this game pretty much from the start. And the key, one of the key things is is they held the Vikings to a three and out on their opening drive. Uh they Packers were held three and out on their opening drive, and the punt was blocked. The Vikings recovered it at the one-yard line. On paper, it should be 6 nothing Vikings within one play because the Packers typically don't handle that type of situation well. They just got punched in the mouth. Things didn't go their way. Here we go again is, you know, kind of what I was thinking, to be perfectly honest, in that situation. But instead, the Packers' defense held strong. Kirk Cousins missed uh, going to Jefferson in the end zone. Instead, he tried Thielen, and it was incomplete. And two running plays. T.J. Slayton did a great. Uh, Slayton did a great job stopping the running back in the backfield twice on first down and on third down to force a fourth down, and the, the Vikings kicked the field goal. And after that field goal, that's when the floodgates opened. Keyshawn Nixon fielded the ball five yards deep in the end zone, found a huge hole, took it, and took it 105 yards for the touchdown. The first Green Bay Packer kick return for touchdown since 2011 when Randall Cobb returned a touch kickoff return for touchdown against the Saints on opening night. That's how long it's been since the Packers had a kick return for touchdown. 
and the Vikings did a bad job fielding it. The Packers did a great job blocking it. And like I said, just right then and there, the floodgates opened. The Vikings' next possession, Rasul Douglas does a great job um, breaking up a pass between Cousins and TJ Hawkinson, and Darnell Savage is in the right place at the right time and takes it the distance. And got to tip my hat to, to Darnell Savage. He, he graded on um, pro football focus, which I know is not the end all be all, but Savage graded at a 51. That is, that's, and I know most people 51 year, this was awful. This isn't good, whatever. But for Savage, this was good. Savage is, you know, he didn't make a, any huge mistakes. He did his job and he, he, he did what he was expected to do. And, Tip my hat to Savage the past against Miami second half and against the Vikings. He's not been bad. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been bad. He hasn't been a disaster. And up until his benching, he had been a disaster at times. And Savage looking like he has learned while spending some time on the bench. And he has making better plays. But like I said, he's in the right place at the right time, took it in for the touchdown. And like and the Packers just like that just bolt race the Vikings the rest of the game. Now there are a couple concerns that I do have, and some of it falls in just the red zone play calling slash decisions. Packers had a third and goal with Aaron Jones in the backfield. They do a run pass option. And when you look at when Rodgers goes to fake the handoff. <coughs> If he would have gave the ball to Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones likely walks into that end zone. Instead, Rodgers keeps the ball, tries to throw to Lazard. A better pass, it's a touchdown. I get that. But he tries to force it to Lazard. Pass goes incomplete. Packers settle for the field goal. That's the difference between, at that point, uh, it would have been, I think, what, 21-3? to Instead, it's 17-3. to I think at that point. And... Yes, it ended up not mattering, but in the playoffs, things like that, it's going to matter. And you got to score in the red zone. And that's the Packers' biggest issue right now is they're not scoring enough touchdowns in the red zone. And before, and that's a perfect segue to my next point, talking about the Lions. Before I get there, I want to finish talking about Green Bay. There's also a few things that are very frustrating to me after watching this Minnesota game. We, as Packer fans, pleaded, pleaded with the with Joe Barry and Matt LaFleur and company to get more aggressive on defense. Stop with the ultra-soft 10 yards off the ball, zone coverage, keep keeping everything in front of you, and make tackles because guess what the Packers don't do well? They don't tackle tackle the ball carrier well. And they don't play soft zone coverage really well either. And we we were begging Joe Barry to change what he was doing. And finally, against Minnesota, the back's against the wall. What does Joe Barry do? He changes what he was doing. He puts Jair Alexander, who did a great job on, on Jefferson, Yes, I know he had safety help at times and whatnot, but the defense doing their jobs, 
the safeties did their jobs. Alexander did his job. Because of things like that, the Packers are able to hold Jefferson to one catch in the entire game, and zero catches came against Jair Alexander. And like I said, yes, he had safety help, but it's football. You're going to respect a receiver like Jefferson with having some safety help as a just-in-case, in case Jefferson got off of the coverage, in case Jefferson got got away from Alexander. You're going to have, you're going to have, you are going to have a safety ready to make a play if he needs to. But Alexander ultimately didn't really need the safety help at all because, you know, you watch the game, you watch him in coverage. He was all over Jefferson. Anywhere Jefferson went, Alexander was in his back pocket. And I did love seeing Alexander do the uh, do the dance that Jefferson's been doing after his touchdowns after a big play after a big pass breakup. And Jefferson's actually lucky he even got to finish the game as after a um, after he uh, had a uh, inter- after an interception to Adrian Amos he was frustrated took his helmet off and almost he did make contact with the official with the helmet he almost nailed the ref with the helmet, but he pulled up just enough. And I'm surprised no flags were thrown. I'm surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up getting fined. Um, who might end up getting fined after that situation. I guess we'll find out in the next day or two if he ends up getting fined. So, but the Packers beat the Vikings. They play defensively. They play great team football. And I remember on Green Bay game day pregame on Tundra Trio Radio Network, which can be heard on 620 WTMJ, 94.5 FM in Milwaukee, 100.5 FM in Madison. I can't remember who it was, but one of the hosts talked about, talked about is they don't play a good team defense or team offense. They got a lot of good pieces, but they don't put it all together and play well as a team. Well, against Minnesota, they played well as a team in every facet of that game. And now I'm excited for Detroit. And I talked about the red zone, talked about how it was the perfect segue to move on to Detroit, but I wasn't ready, quite ready to move on to the Detroit game yet. But the Packers and Detroit. The Lions beat the Packers last time they played 15-9. Yes, 15 to nine was the final score the last time the Packers played Detroit. And the Packers should have won that game. I don't think I'm disrespecting Detroit when I say Green Bay should have won that game against Detroit back when they played earlier this year. It dropped the Packers record to three and six and Detroit improved to two and six and it was uh, their first win in a long winning streak that got them back to 500 uh, before they lost in uh, a couple two weeks ago to Carolina, and then they beat the Bears last week to get back to 500. But there's one big reason why the Packers lost against Detroit in Week One, and again, no disrespect to Detroit, the Packers did it to themselves. They were in the red zone. 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 in the red zone. 
with two red zone interceptions. And I was looking for the red zone stat. But they were one for four on fourth down. Uh, they outgained Detroit in total yards. They had 389 to 254 for Detroit. But the issue was they couldn't score in the red zone. That was why Green Bay lost to Detroit. They could not score once they had the ball in the red zone. The, the Packers moved the ball up and down the field on Detroit pretty easily. And Detroit's defense, not that good. But they couldn't score the ball in the red zone. And it was disappointing because they win that game. They're sitting at 4-5. and five. We're not here a win and you're in uh, situation in week 18 more than likely if they win that game. But, yeah, they were 0 for 4 in the red zone, including two interceptions in the red zone. And then a, a three, a 4 and out to end the game. The Packers should have won this game. They were better than the Lions on November 6th. And I think they're better than the Lions here uh, week 18 on January 8th, Sunday Night Football. I think the Packers are the better team. Not to say the Lions aren't a good team. They got some nice talent on their team. Uh, Jared Goff has had a very great, a very good season in Detroit. He has 29 touchdown passes to seven interceptions, 4,200 yards through the air. He's only been sacked 22 times, and he's done a great job of getting that ball out. And the, the Lions offensive line is a great offensive line. Former Packer Jamal Williams. Uh, six yards away from a thousand yards, he'll likely get a thousand yards rushing for the season fairly early in that game. And he's got 15 touchdowns. Jamal Williams has put, played great football. And Amran Ra, Amara St. Brown, one of the top receivers in the draft from last year, 100 catches, 1100 yards, six touchdowns. They're going to have their handful with him. My guess is that's who Alexander is going to shadow. Um, outside of him, Detroit doesn't have a ton of great options. Uh, DJ Shark is a guy who can uh, stretch the field. He averages 18 yards per catch. But out, like I said, outside of St. Brown, they don't really have a ton um, offensively uh, skilled guy-wise that you have to worry a ton about after St. Brown, after Jamal Williams and Swift. Uh, Hawkinson's not there anymore. The tight end they have now. Brock Wright, uh, 23, sorry, uh, 18 catches on 216 yards and four touchdowns. He's more of a red zone threat. Keep Detroit out of the red zone, you're fine. And then defensively, the big guy you got to worry about, Adrian Hutchinson, the likely defensive player of the year. Three interceptions, seven and a half sacks. Uh, he intercepted Rodgers in the red zone back in November 6th. He intercepted Rodgers in the in the red zone on one of their um, trips to the red zone in that game. One of the red, two red zone interceptions. Um, Detroit doesn't really have a lot of ball hawks outside of that. Adrian Hutchinson is tied for the team lead in interceptions. Safety Kirby Joseph's tied for uh, tied for first with three. Outside of that, the the Lions have a total of. 11 interceptions on the season. They don't intercept the ball a lot. And they haven't recovered a ton of fumbles either. They've forced 14 and they've recovered nine. 
So they don't they don't force turnovers a lot. And if the Packers can give Rodgers a lot of time throwing that ball, Packers should win. And the Packers in that 15 to 9 loss, they lost um Romeo Dobbs on the first series of the game. Bakhtiari was in and out of the lineup still with the knee. Elton Jenkins, I think, was struggled. Yeah, he struggled uh, uh, quite a bit at right tackle in that particular game. Um, Christian Watson got hurt in that game and had to leave uh, precautionary reasons as he had a concussion the week prior. There was just a lot of injuries that the Packers had against Detroit that limited the offense as well. Romeo Dobbs is healthy. Christian Watson is healthy. Aaron Rodgers is looking better and better. Dylan and Jones are finally using those two as they should have in, in back on November 6th. Jones had a strong game against the Vikings. Look for A.J. Dillon to have a strong game against Detroit. And it, it should be a Packer victory. And I think the Packers are going to win this game and make the playoffs. That's my prediction. I think the Packers are going to win by at least 10 points um, on Sunday night at Lambeau Field. Temperatures are going to be, I think, in the low 30s. So that's my thought on Packers and Detroit. Packers get the win, and we are playoff bound, which we could be playoff bound if Seattle loses uh, win or lose. I mean, um, yeah, Seattle loses win or lose. The Packers could be playoff bound depending on what the NFL does. But with that said, as we are in week 18, Black Monday is what they call it when NFL coaches get terminated. <clears throat> Some might be fired Saturday or Sunday after the games are over. They, others may wait till Monday to make that decision. And there's a few coaches that have to probably worry about not having a job after Monday. And I'm not rooting for anybody to lose their job. Um, but there's that possibility. Um, so I guess NFL owners are meeting tomorrow to discuss the AFC playoff seating uh, and will work with uh, answers expected before the weekend. So, but hot seat right now. Ron Rivera, his decision to sit Heineke and play Carson Wentz in a game they had to win to stay alive for the playoffs. If they lose, they're done. That might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Carson Carson Wentz is not respected in the locker room the way Tyler Heineke is. Uh, Heineke, yes, he struggled the past couple weeks, but I think he deserved the opportunity to start in a win or go home type game. Cliff, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I think I, I called in my NFL preview episode that Kingsbury would be a surprise firing back at the beginning of the year. Most people thought I was uh, crazy for saying that because on paper, Arizona looked like a team that could compete for the NFC West crown. Instead, they are not good. They've lost 16 of their past 21 games going into la- uh Pass uh, go after after this past weekend's games, and he's twenty eight thirty six and one. He was a horrible hire when they hired him in the first place. He was an average to below average college coach. He's not going to be a great NFL coach if he's not even a good. Co- I, I know really 
really good to great college coaches typically don't translate to the NFL. Kingsbury was a below average to bad college coach. I don't understand what the Cardinals were thinking that Kingsbury was going to magically turn things around and be a, a great NFL coach. Lovey Smith is a potential for being terminated. Um, it sounded like, and you know, it sounded like they wanted uh, uh, one of their former quarterbacks to be their coach, but with the whole uh, Flores lawsuit, they they ended up giving it to Lovey Smith because they didn't want to deal with the potential backlash of that. Um, I think Lovey Smith's a good coach. He's in a tough situation. Uh, they didn't want him in the first place. I think they should give him another year. But especially after firing David Cully after one year, give Lovey another year to try to right the ship and get things stabilized before you bring in a whole new regime. Josh McDaniels, I think his job's safe for the fact that the Raiders can't really afford to fire another coach. They're already paying John Gruden a lot of money. I think Dennis Allen deserves to be on the hot seat, another uh, hire that was a bad hire to begin with. Stefanski, I think, is safe, but I've seen his name pop up on the hot on the on the hot on the hot list. And Nathaniel Hackett terminated, not even making it through one year. And the issue with Nathaniel Hackett is he got the job for one reason and one reason only, and that was the hope that he was going to bring Aaron Rodgers with him. To Denver, guess what? Rodgers signed a huge contract to stay in Green Bay, and you got Russell Wilson, who's not lived up to the money that the Broncos paid him even before he played a down with Denver, and now they have to hire a new head coach once again. And I'm going to talk about possible candidates for these positions once I know which ones are officially open. Uh, I'm going to wait till... Right now, obviously, we know the Carolina job is going to be open. Yes, uh, the the interim coach has a chance to get it, but we know it's going to be open. We know Denver job is going to be open. Outside of that, it's hard to say right now. But once I know which jobs are open, then I'll kind of go into what candidates I think are going to be the best choices for some of these jobs. And as I always say, bad teams stay bad for a reason. And we were seeing it in Arizona when they hired Kingsbury. Bad teams stay bad for a reason. So with that said, Happy New Year. Hope you all had a great uh, New Year week, New Year's weekend. I'll be back at you next week talking hopefully about another Packer victory and the Packer get ready, Packers getting ready for the playoffs. Hope you all have a great rest of your night. I will talk to you next week.